I would like, if I may, take you on a strange journey. Welcome, everyone, to another edge-of-your-seat episode of Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It's November 6th, and I have a great show for you this week. But because this is the show right after Halloween, because this is the show right after my Greater Magic episode, I want to talk about Halloween a little bit, and and just the idea of trick-or-treating. In our neighborhood, and and I'm hoping that this is isolated just to my area, because I would hate to think of of long-term implications uh, globally, but we have this religion that is dominant around here, uh, Mormons, LDS, and they do everything they can to privatize holidays. And normally it's not an issue because I don't celebrate or I don't take part in the holidays that they traditionally celebrate. Uh, Halloween, however, is one that they have stolen away from all of the children in the neighborhood that are not a part of that ridiculous religion. And they did it this way. They have this trick-or-treat, but in a church parking lot, and they call it trunk-or-treat. Meaning, they have the kids go in this gigantic circle around a parking lot in order to get candy from safe and approved individuals. I don't think anyone wants their kid to get candy from some crazy wacko who may have, uh, I don't know, stuck it in their ass or something. But the the percentage of those versus everyone else in the world are so minuscule as I would imagine you would have a better chance being hit by a meteor. A meteor. Than those ridiculous fears of people injecting drugs into candy Look, if you're a drug addict, you're not going to waste your drugs. (laughs) That's why they're an addict. It's not like there's a a huge business for people to purchase illegal substance and then inject it into candy and then give it to your child. It's this irrational fear that is guiding this ridiculous religion in privatizing this amazing holiday. One which I remember quite fondly as an, a young, young child going around with my friends, I mean, it was a big deal not to have my parents with me or not to have my older sisters with me. And it was just me and my buddies walking around door to door. And we weren't trying to mess with anyone's yard. We were trying to get candy and just be a part of the night and everything that is implied therein. All of the dark and scary things that I believed in when I was a kid that I thought even had the remotest of chances of being real. Actual monsters in the night. So I want my kids to experience that as well. And it's becoming a real challenge. So we had started to walk around the the block and there was 
out of, let's say, 50 houses, three. And, and I actually heard this commented on on another podcast, but I think it bears repeating. I don't think people understand how to tell trick-or-treaters that they're not there. Because there were some houses with lit pumpkins, lit pumpkins, with lights on, but they would not come to their door. There were people that were completely darkened houses, uh, little to no Halloween decorations, and they were there. So you don't know which house to come... I mean, when I was growing up, the tell was there was a porch light on. If the porch light was on, you could get candy if you went to there. But we had porch lights on, and no one was at the house. No decorations or anything, but the porch light is on. And I don't know if that's a reminiscent of a bygone era that somehow you're safer, or that no one's going to break into your house because you have porch lights on. But it's Halloween. If there's not a safer time... Not worry about your house being broken into. That's it. There are people everywhere, all over the street. No one is going to walk up to your house, bust down your door, take your shit. Unless it's Michael Myers, it's not going to happen. And in that case, you got a lot more to worry about than just them stealing your possessions. <laughs> it's just this this crazy idea that, yeah, we're going to leave our porch light on, we're going to have some decorations out, but we're not going to actually open the door to give kids candy. And I get it. it is, there are hard economic times. What is candy? Worst case scenario, um, you drop a five spot on some crappy, uh, you know, like now and later type candies and just give it out while you can one piece at a time to the kids as they come up because it's not about what they're getting. It's not about the quality. It's about the experience of being out in the night with all the other creatures, all the other monsters, all the other scary things that they've been fearing all year up to this night. And now they're one of them. And as a child, that is that is empowering. And it's an essential part of understanding that you are your greatest fears. You are that monster. And you can be scary if that's what you want to be. That's an exciting thing. Don't steal it away because you're afraid of some drug addict infecting your child with, I don't know what, like heroin or something? Give me a break. Ridiculous. So all in all, the end of the night, it ended up okay because the further we got from our immediate neighborhood, the more houses were available, but it just, it was not as rich as I remember growing up. To be fair, memories tend to be a lot better than the actual reality of it, so take it as a grain of salt there. But it just, it was a little bit disappointing. Uh, however, I did get home. I put in uh, Night of the Living Dead. I popped open a Pilsner. And I was tearing up some shortbreads. So it ended up being an amazing night. Uh, and we, we had a ton of excess candy um, for the kids. that were, I mean, We were literally giving out handfuls of candy to, to the kids that were coming to the door. And what is it about kids that come to the door that minimal effort in dressing up? And this is another thing. Get a sheet and put it over your head. Like, that's literally as far as you have to go. But to just put your hat backwards and maybe put on a little eyeliner, I don't think dressing up as some vampire movie teenager equates to a Halloween costume. Um, putting a little on a little, I don't know what, base or something, or, or, or white face paint, and that's it? That is not... That is not a Halloween costume. 
So parents, tell your kids, or if they're going to be young enough to go around trick-or-treating still, they should be responsible enough to, to be creative. And if they're not creative, then you need to show them how to be creative. That's a part of the whole point of the night. Anyway, i, I got to get off the soapbox because I'm going to start getting frustrated here. Uh, outside of that, I hope you enjoyed the Greater Magic episode. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I actually did have um, some other panelists that were going to be involved in it, but life got in the way. Um, I am going to be doing it again next year, so hopefully... I can get those gentlemen back on. And I would like to get some of you um, witchy ladies, too. So, you know, if, if, if you are a ritual practitioner, uh, reach out to me. I'd, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear your stories and your take on things. And I'm going to try to uh, mix up the diversity of it. <laughs> I, I know in a lot of my shows, I had uh, solely men, male guests. And I, I received comments about that. Um, and it's not that I don't think there are projects that women are involved in that are worthy. It's really a matter of, of scheduling and exposure, um, my exposure to them. Um, that's sort of the driving factor. So, again, if you have suggestions for guests, please get them to me. I would love to um, talk to people. And I've received a lot, and I actually have a lot of ideas in the hopper about future guests. Um, but, you know, I really want to reach out to you, the, the Nine Cents community. Today I'm going to be talking about eternal life, living forever, and is that satanic at all? That's going to be a little bit controversial because I know there's some uh, really hard ideas and, and beliefs in this arena, but I'm going to touch on them. Also, I'm going to have a guest today, and we're going to talk about Texas Sheriff's Office opens probe after YouTube video shows Judge beating daughter. This has been all over the internet uh, the last week. And when I was first uh, introduced to it early in the week, I knew I wanted to talk about it. I had another person on some forums online reach out to me um, with an interest in talking. I'm going to be inviting him to talk to me about it as well and talk to you. And then Kane's favorability drops after accusations. In Creature Feature, I've an interview with Magister Bob Johnson, publisher of Old Nick Magazine. This is a great interview, so stick around for it. And I do have a Bizarre the Bizarre. It is going to be very adult, so if you want to stick around for it, it, it could be a little bit sick too, so um, be warned. And that's going to be it for the show. I hope you stick around. I hope you enjoy it. Another Nine Cents begins with The Devil's Advocate right now. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I'll raise up my voice that you may hear To the east and to the west I beckon To the north and to the south I show a sign proclaiming A death to the weakling Wealth to the strong Can I get a hail Satan? I said, can I get a hail Satan? We are the devil's advocates Welcome to The Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. In today's Devil's Advocate, I want to talk about living forever and the implications of that. I know there's some people who are going to abjectly disagree with this entire perspective here, but hear me out. 
what I love about Satanism is that it's a religion, it's a philosophy that embraces the idea that we are here for a finite amount of time on this earth alive and to cherish every minute and live it to its fullest. I mean, that's the basic idea behind everything that is Satanism. And what happens to that if suddenly there's not a finite amount of time that we're here on this earth, that we're alive? I mean, you can argue that we as human beings have evolved to think and interact and be this specific way because we do have a end point. Everything ends, right? Cells have a lifespan. Chromosomes. You go down to the, the finest details of our genetic makeup. I'm not talking about molecules here. But the finest details of what makes us living beings. And it all has a lifespan. When you remove that, I mean, even the universe has an end. Space and time as we know it is not infinite. I think it is a, a very egotistical idea to think that we could live forever. I think that what that would do to us as human beings at our very core would change us if we lived forever. Suddenly, the, the idea of morals in society, I think, would begin to de degenerate. Why worry about the consequences of the actions you have if you have an eternity to do other things? Or, I just, I, I cannot imagine that you would care if you spent 10 years in prison for murdering someone if you had an eternity to do other things as well. A 10-year span would be nothing. And what would a life sentence mean? And I'm just talking about legal things here. Uh, ideas of society getting along. What about relationships? The very idea of, of human beings uh, can be argued that finding one partner and living with them is, is purely manufactured. It is not natural to our human uh, animal side of, of existing. But it is a societal thing. And what would happen to that, that idea if we lived forever? Would you suddenly only have terms of marriage before you moved on? Our entire relationships are based on the idea of a finite amount of time till death do us part. But after 60 years... After 260 years, after 687 years, are you going to really want to be with the same person? And what does that say about society as a whole? Because if our individual relationships are time dependent, how could we... What, okay, as a country, uh, 1776 we were founded. It is now 2011. It's no long time. And think of all the problems that have come up in that time. Think of the entire span of the Roman Empire. That's a tiny blip 
on eternal life. So just taking it out of the satanic context and putting it into the human context, though they are intertwined, go with me here, it is something that is not the goal. We like to think of it as the goal because we like the idea of enjoying life to its fullest forever. But once you reach that forever mark, once you extend past the point of human life, once you are at that point of no longer being human, all of our morals, all of our bounds of societal ideas are thrown out the window. So I understand that a lot of people out there, even my audience, is not going to agree with me. Not 100% anyway. Um, maybe not at all. But I like the fact that there's an end. Because that's what, that, that's the motivation behind me wanting to enjoy truly what I have while I'm here. If I know that my life can end at any moment, I am more inclined to cherish those moments than if I know I'm never going to die. I could just sleep eons away. If I don't like a particular part of society, I could just sleep through it. Wake up in 20, 30, 80 generations. No. Living forever? I don't think that's satanic at all. <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of shit for saying that. But I don't think it is. I think the fact that we have an end, that is the essence of satanic. That is what Satanism truly is. Of course, that's just my ideas. What do I know? Let's go ahead and move over to the Infernal Informant. Warriors of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the Infernal Informant. Hi, this is Infernal Informant. I've got two wonderful articles here for you, but I also have a special guest, like I mentioned at the top of the show. We're being joined by Sam. Now, a little bit of background here. On Letters to the Devil message board, um, there was a post about the Texas judge who was videotaped um, beating his daughter, and it came out that he was um, a judge that often sees child protective service claims, um, child abuse claims, stuff like that. So it was uh, a very interesting topic that I wanted to bring up. Well, you had um, posted that... Uh, forum post, I believe, and had uh, expressed an interest in joining me today. And you have a specific history, correct? Uh, yes. Um, when I posted that video, I had assumed that other people had seen it, but nobody had posted it yet to discuss it. And this was something that, you know, I really did want to, uh, uh, you know, get different points of view from, you know, members of this forum. Uh, you know, as far as my background is concerned on this, uh, I did, you know, work for a little over three years in child protective services. 
Uh, in the beginning, I was doing uh, investigative work on claims of neglect and physical abuse. And then I worked for different agencies as a uh, caseworker and a program manager uh, for, you know, just various programs with, um, you know, specifically with abuse and neglected children and, you know, their treatment and rehabilitation into, you know, into safe and loving households, you know, whether it was with their family or foster families or um, long-term institutional care or just, you know, whatever was appropriate. So it's been about three years doing all of that and, um, you know, then left the field and, you know, went into something completely unrelated, but it's always stayed very, uh, you know, very close to me, you know, to, you know, to, to take up the cause of, uh, of, you know, children who have been, you know, abused or neglected. Yeah. And certainly as a Satanist, it is, um, it's, it's inherent in us to want to protect our children. Uh, I'm going to jump right into this article. So this is a WashingtonPost.com article, um, blog post uh, by Melissa Bell. Texas Sheriff's Office opens probe after YouTube video shows judge beating daughter. Uh, And as usual, I'm going to read through this article and we'll just sort of um, interrupt it as as necessary. The video is seven minutes of stomach-churning violence as a man whips a teenage girl with a belt, cursing her when she does not lay on her stomach to take the beating. Posted last week on YouTube, the video went viral on Tuesday after it was linked on the message board Reddit. The person who uploaded the video, the girl being beaten in the video, Hillary Adams, now 23, Adams secretly recorded the video in 2004. It shows her father, Arkansas County Court-at-Law Judge William Adams, whipping her with a belt after she illegally downloaded music off of the internet. After the video went viral on YouTube, Adams told the Associated Press she felt some regret for posting the video online, but that she hoped it would force him to get help. In the video description on the YouTube, um, Adams wrote, Judge William Adams is not fit to be anywhere near the law system if he can't even exercise fit judgment as a parent himself. Do not allow this man to ever be reelected again. His judgment is a giant farce, signed Hillary Adams, his daughter. She then linked the video on Reddit, where it quickly became one of the top-read and most recommended stories on the site Tuesday night. Other Reddit users tracked down the numbers to the sheriff's department and the judge's office in Rockport, Texas. The judge could not be reached for comments, big surprise, as his phone line remained busy throughout Wednesday morning. The website for the court remained offline as well, likely due to a huge increase in traffic. Let me I'm going to stop here on the article really quick. And... I have to preface this statement by saying there's no excuse for behavior like this um, from any man, any adult, um, any judge. But the fact that she recorded it, <clears throat> I wonder if if she was intentionally, intentionally being more uh, disobedient, knowing he it would provoke a specific reaction. Uh, I, I think she is absolutely a victim here. But do you think that there was that element of it? She knew she could get a reaction if she acted a specific way, and that's why she threw um, that video camera there. I, I I disagree with that assertion. Um, you know, if I've seen one one case similar to this, I've seen a million of them. Um, mm-hmm. I actually grew up in a household uh, very similar to this. I myself was physically abused by my father, and that abuse was enabled by my mother. And it did continue on up until 
about the time I became the same physical size and stature as my father and could fight back. Um, so the reason I'm, I'm going to say I disagree with that is because children who have been suffering from uh, long-term abuse, they, uh, they get to where they can anticipate it. You know, no child wants to be uh, beaten like that. They know what's coming. They know exactly how bad it's going to be, and they don't want it. But they can anticipate that, you know, hey, in about two or three minutes, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to suffer this fate. And um, so I, I believe Hillary's story, you know, just, you know, comparing it to other cases that she uh, she had gotten caught. You know, what, what specifically she had done was she had installed a peer to peer file sharing program on her computer. And her claim is, is that she was only searching for this one recording, uh, this one album from a band that was not selling their music uh, in the United States. So there was no legal way to get it. Um, and her father didn't, you know, he, he, he wasn't all that internet savvy, didn't quite understand what exactly it was that she was, uh, she was doing, assumed that she was just, you know, stealing video games and music. And um, she had, you know... Her claim is she had a few minutes to set up a video camera and, you know, kind of uh, hide it off in a corner where, you know, he couldn't see it, couldn't see that the little red light was on that was recording, and, um, you know, was just fortunate that the camera was pointed at the right angle to, to capture the abuse and, you know, that the abuse happened in that room. Yeah. But, uh, but no, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's one thing that... You know, like I said, I've seen it a million times before, and I lived through it myself where the children know when the abuse is about to happen. And, you know, um, you, you do see them, you know, after a while starting to take precautions against it, you know, uh, trying to, to pad their clothing or, you know, lock the doors or, or hide somewhere, you know, just things of that nature. Yeah, and I, I think this, this case speaks to also the change in 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 the culture of of raising children because it wasn't that long ago that it was okay to smack your kids when you perceived negative behavior it wasn't that long ago i mean i know growing up i i i would never consider myself a child of abuse by any means but there were times when you know uh I was thrown against um cars or downstairs or you know i mean it was provoked behavior not to excuse it but I can understand how someone can lose themselves uh, in, in a, a situation, and if they don't have uh, any element of control, how they can, um, you know, just go to that next level that doesn't need to be, you know, gone to. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and reveal my bias, because I, I think that's only fair to your listeners and the integrity of your show, that I reveal my bias, that, you know... I'm going to say that I do not recommend any form of corporal punishment against any child for uh, for any reason. Oh, I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, no, I totally right. agree. But uh, I'm, you know, I will make the the differentiation between what is a reasonable application of punishment. You know, you, you say you don't view, um, or you just mentioned, you know, being thrown against a car or pushed downstairs. Uh, I would, you know, if I was a, a, you know, still a child protection worker. And I had a parent admit that to me. I would start, you know, an open investigation immediately, and I would be most likely bringing in um, 
uh, you know, law enforcement to start a criminal investigation as well. There, there's a difference between a spanking, you know, and... Um, can you maybe explain that, uh, if I can interrupt you just for a second here... Sure. Is spanking okay nowadays? You know, spanking is still, you know, it, it is still a part of, you know, our our cultural norms to that, you know, sometimes a child needs to be spanked to um, to learn their lesson or you know, that spanking is an appropriate punishment. I mean, you know, it still happens in schools, um, you know, uh, and there's even guidelines on it, uh, you know, not clear cut, you know, this is okay, this is abuse, but... There are still guidelines on it, you know, uh, within our uh, our protection system and our legal system. So yes, it, it is uh, within our culture that it is okay to thank children, you know, whether or not they're a whole different issue. But our culture says that, for the most part, it is okay. Huh. So what do you think the line is? But there's a series of, of things that you have to look at, and um, you know, the the first is, and I I really hate using this term, but child is a uh, a is to be spanked, um, you know, and that would mean that they have to be of a certain age where they could understand, you know, you know, wrong. Uh, you know, it would be, say, a 15-month-old child for flipping over his oatmeal, you know, at breakfast time and making a big, huge mess. Uh, you know, so they have to be of the right, you know, of, of that right age. Uh, secondly, being normally, um, yeah, I mean, physically, emotionally, you know, intellectually, you know, if you have a, a, an intellectually disabled child, you know, you may be dealing with stuff that's, you know, got the mindset of a of a two year old, even though they're five or six, and a spanking's just, you know, it, it's just going to accomplish anything except making the child fear you. Yeah. You know, but on the other hand, with the age issue, you know, he so old. So sorry about that. We had some technical issues. We were recording via Skype, and we were getting so much of a delay. I had to change it to uh, speakerphone here. So let's go ahead and pick up where we left off. Um, you said that there was a line, and a lot of that line had to do with emotional uh, maturity of the child. Um, what else would there be? Right. Um, you know, the, the child has to be of the... Uh, they, they have to be old enough to understand their own actions. So, you know, uh, a 15-month-old child that, you know, made a big mess with their, with their food... You know, spanking's only going to teach them to fear you, uh, while as, you know, maybe a four-year-old that, you know, was trying to start a food fight at the dinner table, well, you know, that that's something that's going to require, you know, an immediate intervention, and uh, that immediate intervention, you know, may or may not be a spanking. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about a 16-year-old like Hillary Adams, um, Spankings have completely lost their effect uh, of teaching discipline in any form because now they're at the age to where they can understand logic and reason. You know, they do have those concrete logical abilities. Um, but, you know, also, you know, there, there has to be a, uh, you know, a, a normal physical development. Um, you know, Hillary Adams has ataxic cerebral palsy. You know, and her father has accused her of playing you know, playing up her disability, but it's still the fact that she does have a toxic cerebral palsy uh, means that she should never, ever be struck in anger or discipline or anything because, you know, no two cases of cerebral palsy are ever the same, and uh, there's, you know, just, uh, I, I could go on for hours about all the complications that you could have with, um, with striking a physically disabled child. Um, 
But, you know, as far as the uh, the infraction that the child commits that, you know, would warrant a spanking, you know, that infraction has to be something that requires an immediate intervention. And the example that I've always used was something that I actually saw happen in a grocery store. There's a child that looked like she was about four, five, maybe six at the oldest, um, was aggravated about being in the grocery store for too long and was picking up glass jars off of the shelf and smashing them onto the floor. Oh. And her mother gave a spanking to her right there in the middle of the grocery store. Now, at the time, I still worked for the Office of Child Protective Services. Now, I didn't intervene at all because, you know, it was a couple of swats on on her buttocks with a uh, with an open hand, you know, no more than five, five hits. And, you know, this action uh, of smashing these glass jars, not only did that require an immediate intervention, but it was also posing a danger to the child and others. So really that's, that's the, the kind of infraction that, uh, that has to happen for a spanking to be appropriate. It has to be so severe that you must react immediately. It can't be something where, you know, you say, wait till your father gets home or wait till we get back to the car. And it has to be something that is actually endangering uh, the child or other people. Do you think... For a lot of people, that would be difficult in the moment to define? Uh, it would be you know, difficult for some people uh, to define in the moment, um, you, know, which is, you know, which is why I don't recommend corporal punishment you know, in, you know, a- at all, because it is so difficult to define things in the moment. You know, it's, it, it's very rarely do you see something that is that clear-cut, you know, as yeah. uh, you know, another example would be, you know, your five-year-old, uh, you know, playing in the yard and then chasing a ball into a busy street. And, you know, maybe you grab the child by the collar of their shirt, pull them back onto the yard and give them a couple of swats. Um, it, it, it's not always that clear cut. So uh, that brings me into my next set of guidelines where I would say if you do administer corporal punishment, I strongly recommend that you only use an open hand and only strike the child on you know, on their buttocks. And the reason for that is that if your hand has started to hurt, then you know you've probably hit your child one time too many or a little bit too hard, and they've had enough. Um, you know, and also, using your open hand, it's much more difficult to accidentally hit the child on uh, the sides of the legs or the hamstrings or the lower back, which, you know, that that's somewhat dangerous because... You know, you leave bruises and welts on these areas. You know, it's so easy to leave bruises and welts on. Um, every time that child sits down, sometimes, the, you know, the kinds of clothes they wear, it will cause them pain for days. And it would be the same thing as saying, hey, I caught you shoplifting from the store. So I'm going to give you a spanking today, but I'm also going to give you a spanking tomorrow. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a spanking the next day. You know, uh, that, that would be completely unreasonable. And thus, it's unreasonable to want to strike your child with, you know, a physical object, you know, a belt or an electrical cord or things of that nature, because it, it really does stretch out the punishment way past the, the appropriate window. And it, I, I can only imagine that it's also incredibly difficult because you're not just dealing with the heat of the moment. Uh, you're also dealing with your own, as a parent, history. Um 
if you were raised where your father made you go get the belt or go get a stick from outside, and then he would spank you with that, well, that's that's reasonable to you because that's how you were raised, whether you like it or not. And so I would imagine that that would be difficult for someone who experienced that to say, I'm not going to do this to my kid because I hated it so much and can at times just out of habit do it. Have you have you seen that in, in your history with uh, cases? Oh, yes, yes, all the time. Uh, even cases that I investigated that, you know, I wound up, you know, closing the case and saying, okay, I do not feel that this was abuse. I feel this was discipline. And interviewing the parents, I never once, you know, I, I was just waiting for the day where I had a single parent say, yes, I spanked my child. I made them go out to the front yard and get a switch and spanked my child with it. And nope, nobody ever did that to me. Not my parents, not my grandparents, aunts, uncles, you know, nobody ever did that to me. Um, it is a learned behavior, uh, to, to do this, uh, and, you know, this is why it's, you know, still accepted and common to apply corporal punishment to your children uh, in today's world, you know, because you know, th- this is something I, I, I've always tried to instill in parents, that every last thing that you, you do to your children or around your children or even things that you think you're keeping hidden from your children but they find out about, you know, uh, all of that affects you know, their development and all of it has an impact on the kind of adult they are going to be. Now, I want to be, um, uh, I, I want to give my little uh, bit of an opinion here because I, I firmly believe what you're saying, but I don't believe it's an absolute. I, I think if you're raised in a certain way, it's not unheard of to break out of that mold. So I want to make sure that, you know, we're clear and the audience is clear that though learned behavior is. Uh, is real and it can be very damaging it doesn't mean it's an absolute that you're going to do it because you know for example you for example you said you were abused and and you now are you know you went through a period of protecting other people from it so because you can't use as an excuse I guess is what I'm getting to Um, you have to take some responsibility as a human being you're you're right just because something happened to you just because you were exposed to, to something, um, you know, something damaging or inappropriate or whatever in your childhood, it, it, it does not mean that you are going to grow up to, you know, be that way or do those things yourself. Um, you know, it, it will mean that it, it is going to affect the way you develop, but necessarily guarantee that you're going to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in every case, every single case, you know, that I'm, you know, I investigated where there was physical abuse and a super majority of the cases I dealt with where there was sexual abuse, um, the abuser had had it happen to them when they were about the same age as the uh, the children that they were abusing. Uh, So I I don't buy that it's an excuse. You know, I, I, I don't think that people should be able to get onto a witness stand in a courtroom for a criminal case and say, hey, let me go, you know, I was beaten and raped when I was a child, so I'm just doing what I know. Um, While it explains the behavior, it definitely does not excuse the behavior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there there does need to be, you know, interventions of different kinds, you know, different cases require different interventions. Um, Maybe 
it's long-term therapy or whatever. But there, there does have to be an intervention to make sure that this behavior stops because it is inappropriate. And what my goal when I was working in Child Protective Services and all of my colleagues, you know, our goal was to break the cycle of abuse. It was if we can get one generation, you know, just one generation in this one geographical area to not abuse their children, then the next generation, we're out of a job. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. I would gladly, gl- I, I would gladly go to McDonald's and you know <laughs> and work the drive-through if that meant that you know I never had to hear of another case of uh, of child abuse or domestic violence or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, let's return back to this article really quick and uh, wrap it up, um, and then we can continue talking about this. Uh, Early Wednesday afternoon, the Corpus Christi, Texas television station KRIS reached Judge Adams, who said, It happens years ago. I apologized. He also said the video made his contact look worse than it was. But and I love that. I gotta I gotta stop on that. People always say, Well, that wasn't really how it was. You had to be there. How is how is seeing a recorded video any different than being in the room and seeing it? Alive, like I don't understand how there could be any difference at all. I mean, outside from not seeing what was before the video and what was after the video, you can't say that it was different when we saw it right there. That is just so absurd to me. All right. Well, the the sweet sweet irony of all of this is, you know, yeah, you know, I'm uh, a member of that red, uh, of that website Reddit where this video was first linked to. And um, as soon as I saw it, I started doing some digging on Judge Adams. And there was, and and keep in mind this, you know, this source is, you know, dubious at best. But there was a poster on another message board that had, you know, that, that had claimed that Judge Adams had thrown out testimony of a witness in another child abuse case because this eyewitness didn't have video evidence. You know, and, and to, to use the internet slang bits or it didn't happen. You know, that was his uh, you know, that that was his ruling as a judge. And now here it is with the video and he's saying, Oh, it looks so much worse than video, it wasn't really like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it it is absurd and I think that his mindset when he made that statement was probably that he had no idea um that this video had been made and no idea how farly or, or how far um, uh, or how widespread this video had become and he really didn't know what to say so he just said the first stupid thing that came to his mind <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it, it is absolutely absurd because if this video had been released when uh, when Hillary was 16 years old um, in the state that I had worked in they would have been taken into immediate protective custody and a criminal investigation would have been opened against Judge Adams and his wife. It is absurd to the highest order to say it looks worse than it is when he is when, when he had told his daughter, "Roll over, or I'll fucking spank you in the face." Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there's just <laughs> there, there's no excuse for that. And um, you know, even as a judge, he knows that. You know, he knows that if this was not a case about him, if it was a case about somebody else, and that video was presented as evidence, that the defense, at 
is, you know, would be, you know, laughed out of court. But um, to return to this, Police you know, Chief Tim Jero, when reached by the phone uh, by the post, said his office has been flooded with calls. The video was brought to his office's attention Tuesday night, and it opened an investigation into the video. He said the office started a criminal investigation to look into the video and asked the Department of Public Safety to assist in the investigation. He said they had no reason to believe that the girl in the video was in any additional danger, as the video seemed to have been taken seven years earlier. In a Reddit comment, Hillary Adams said that she secretly recorded her father, but she never showed it to anyone until she uploaded it to YouTube. She said a volatile phone conversation with her father the night before prompted her to finally post it. In the video, a woman also beats the girl with a belt, though she appears to be attempting to defuse the man's anger. The video description identifies the woman as Judge Adams' wife, Haley Adams, and claims she was also abused by her husband and subsequently divorced him. In a Facebook page that appears to have been created today, Haley Adams posted a message saying she hopes for my daughters to both finally be able to go on counseling both individually and as a family group with their dad's approval encouragement, involvement, and support for him to finally make amends to all of us, talk openly with us, and take the steps to letting our broken family heal. In another YouTube video on the same account, a video posted more than a year ago identifies the same girl as Hillary. In another video posted on Tuesday, the girl shown as a young adult displaying her first toy, a miniature piano, as well as the splints she wore from a young age of ataxic cerebral palsy. Hillary Adams was not returned, has not returned requests for comment, though she had been posting remarks on Reddit and Twitter. The attention online spurred concerns for Judge Adams' safety. In one Reddit post about the topic, a user writes, By advocating for violence and retribution against Judge Adams, we are stooping to his level. His daughter agrees, writing on Twitter morning, uh, Wednesday morning, Please spread the word that my father needs professional help and not hatred. We can offer him the tools to be a better person. Let me ask you about that. Um, and this is, uh, you know, from people who were not immediately involved in this. I am a firm believer of um, vengeance, eye for an eye. Uh, Lex talionis all the way, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm also, I'm a pretty apathetic individual. If it does not concern me personally... I prefer not to get involved. So what what do you think about people wanting to um, enact violence against uh, Judge Adams? Well, I think it's understandable that they would uh, that they would have these thoughts and these desires to say, you know, he, you know, brutalized a, you know, a, a young girl with a physical disability, you know, a neurological disorder. It, it went so far beyond anything acceptable in our culture that, you know, we would want to be you know, the white knight, we would want to, to rescue her and, and make this man pay for, for his crimes. Um, now, without the internet as, you know, a, a filter, without having that, you know, the, the you know, the, the anonymous identities uh, that we can have on the internet, I don't think people would be saying this in public that, you know, hey, let's go get our torches and pitchforks and burn this guy's house down. Uh, but I do think that it's something that's very normal for a person to feel. It's like, yes, I do want to punish this man for what he did to this girl. Uh, but I would also say that, you know, what you want to do and what you should do are very often, you know, on opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, uh, so I would say, you know, in this case, it's best, you know, to let the uh, legal system you know, handle this the way it's designed to be handled and for everybody else to just stay out of it and 
you know, and at most, you know, provide Hillary and uh, her sister and, you know, and everybody involved, just provide them with the moral support that, that they request and leave it at that. Yeah, and as Satanists, there is specific avenues for this. You know, we, we are very... We are very law-abiding people, so there is an open case on this. Let the legal system do its job. That's what it's there for. And if you feel like you do need to do something against Judge Adams or for Hillary Adams, uh, we have rituals for that. You know, um, we have uh, compassion and, and destruction rituals that you can employ that will be as effective as you bitching online. <laughs> actually more effective <laughs> so uh, keep that in mind you have tools at, at your disposal to punish or send compassion if you deem it worthy um, but you know what we've got a legal system for a reason let's let them do their job right and you know the thing is that Judge Adams he's already been replaced on the bench on a temporary basis uh, you know pending this investigation and I believe the, the quote that I read from um from the, uh, the that county in Texas was that they had brought somebody on for uh, two weeks, you know, which was the mandatory minimum for any of these investigation, you know, situations. Was you know, he's been replaced for two weeks, but they went ahead and told this person uh, something to the effect of, you know, you might as well be prepared to take the whole docket. Um, so, at best, this guy is. Or, or excuse me, at, at the very least, this guy's off the bench for a good while. Um, he's not up for re-election for another couple of years, I believe. But he, he's most likely not going to be sitting on the bench after, you know, this investigation is over. And even if he does return to the bench, there's no way, absolutely no way, he's ever going to get re-elected. And um, pretty much any judgment that he, uh, that he delivers from the bench... Uh, if he does get to do that, it's automatic grounds for appeal. Yeah. So yeah. his career is over. You know, because yeah. I mean, that, that's the very least that can happen is that, you know, in six or seven months he's back doing something with the with the judicial system. But his career is over. And I I would be surprised if he, if he could even get a job making snow cones at Dairy Queen after this is over. <laughs> And uh, um, for good reason. So, you know, uh, unfortunately, the, the statute of limitations in the state of Texas for child abuse is five years. So he's not facing any criminal charges. But, um, you know, his, his life is going to be irreparably changed from, you know, from this moment on. Yeah. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining me for this. This is, uh, it's, it's added a whole new element to my regular discussions. I, I do appreciate your time um, and your, your experience and your willingness to share. Oh, well, I appreciate you having me on. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and um, you know, I look forward to chatting with you more online. Great. Uh, we were going to be talking about another article, but uh, due to time, I think we're just going to go ahead and jump right into Creature Feature on the other side of our break. See you there. Prepare for incoming message. Prepare yourself for Deep Six Radio. Right is right. I am Matt, host of Deep Six Radio. And I am Inris. Yes, we are 
So if you want to be one of the six taking on the oh-so-lovely Idris and want to be featured on the show... Send your emails and MP3s to us at... Deep6 at RadioFreeSatan.com Include a bio and anything you want mentioning on air. We are open to any genre apart from rap. Deep6 also includes a fine selection of alternative rock as well as multiple other genres. So why not jump on the roller coaster? That is Deep6 Radio. Deep6 is available on... RadioFreeSatan.com And also iTunes a week later. We, we look, look forward, forward to, to you joining, joining us. End of the line. The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She moves the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her side as her last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I have a very special guest, Magister Bob Johnson from Old Nick Magazine publisher, creator. He's going to be joining us today to talk about Old Nick and a little bit about himself. Magister Bob Johnson, how are you today? Good, Adam. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, it's truly a pleasure. Uh, I'm, I'm doing quite well. Old Nick is the reason why um, I'm bringing you on here, and I'm, I'm really, really glad that you were uh, able to fit in some time. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, are you the creative genius behind Old Nick, or uh, is that something that Maybe you were inspired uh, to, to put together by other people? Well, that's, a, that's a good way to start an interview, calling someone a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how much genius was involved, but yes, I am the creator. It was my brainchild, and um, it's, it came to being uh, from a lot of uh, different sources and a lot of inspiration from most of my interests. So uh, Satanism being one, um, I also professionally worked for Playboy for a number of years and other men's magazines. Nice. And uh, also a, um, a real burning desire to give Satanic Men a magazine that's both entertaining and instructive. Uh, you know, far too many men nowadays are kind of lost. They don't know where they're at and what they're doing. And, you know, uh, as Satanists, we go back to a, a more... Uh, male-dominated type of uh, paradigm. So I wanted to to create a publication that talked to all of those points. I can't help but think that Playboy had a hand in your experience with Playboy, had a hand in the um, the gentlemanly approach that you're taking uh, with Old Nick. Well, the, the the fact of the matter is that that that's Playboy's roots. I mean, Playboy was founded back in 1953. Uh, based on being an urban gentleman's handbook and very much uh, a sophisticated, work-hard, play-hard, love-life, libertine attitude. And that was how the magazine began. And it changed over the years, and now no one quite knows what it's doing, but uh, that that is the roots. And uh, it was uh, was exemplary of, of the type of man's man with a more sophisticated approach. Uh, back then, so 
that influence is very strong in Old Nick. Nice. You know, I, I have to say just sort of on a personal level, I've always find it challenging to find uh, a, a female aesthetic that's targeted more to, you know, my specific uh, ideals of, of what beauty and what sexy and what um, is attractive. And so when I did come across Old Nick, I was completely excited, um, which is, you know, partially why I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on now. Before we dive into um, any more of Old Nick specifically, can we talk a little bit about the man behind Old Nick? Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, career-wise, from a vocational standpoint, I'm a journalist, writer, and, and editor by trade, a creative type, and that's what I've done for almost all of my career. And that, uh, you know, with all creative people, that starts very, very young in life. You know, and, and particularly um, folks with a dark aesthetic have similar backgrounds. You know, if you read the, the Satan Bible, which I'm sure you have, and most, oh, yes. people, most people who've read it will agree that it, it kind of found them. <laughs> they didn't find it. So there's a built-in uh, attraction to a darker aesthetic and a, and, and a lifestyle. You know, we all... I grew up in in the fifties uh, and sixties, and it was the horror movies back then, the Hammer films, and oh, yeah. Dark Castles, and Doctor Frankenstein, and Dracula, and and all that stuff was a heavy influence. As was Halloween. It's apropos that we're, we're talking on Halloween weekend. So, so that you know, those were my that was my background and that very much uh, molded my thinking throughout my lifetime and putting together the things that I find most interesting in life, beautiful women, a dark aesthetic, um, the male ego uh -huh. and being not politically correct. Yeah. Uh, these are, these are my passions and, uh, that's that's what comes across in Old Nick. Can I interrupt you for a second? Because a lot of times, when it comes to political correctness, people seem to go overboard in trying to uh, be a little too correct. And, and I don't know if it stems from this idea that maybe they could serve a wider audience if they're more politically correct. And then there's people who uh, really go above and beyond just to push against that. Um, and, and maybe even be more offensive because of the presence of political correctness. Do you think you take um, that extreme, or do you just not really concern yourself with being political? It's just not even on the radar. You're just it, sort of yeah. speaking. It's not on the radar. And, you know, a, a gentleman's answer to when someone asks them, how are you? It's, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? No one wants to hear anyone bellyaching. Yeah. No matter how polite they may be, they, they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear your trials and tribulations and your problems. And that plays with political correctness, too. We don't address it. You know, it's it's Old Nick is an entertainment magazine, so we're not even taking a political stance that way. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, but it's not on the radar, to answer your question. It's nice. you, you read between the lines. You could tell what it is. Yeah. You know, we, we put forth... Here's how to be a gentleman. Here's how to be a man. Here are the women we like. The, this is how the women we like respond. And if you don't like it, you don't read the magazine. 
Simple yeah. as that. Nice. When were you first exposed to Satanism? Uh, interesting story. I was um, the editor of, of High Society magazine. I don't, I don't know if your listeners um, know what that is, but it was a girly magazine. I was the editor of that, that magazine in the 90s, early 90s. And uh, I decided to do an article on uh, Anton LaVey, Dr. LaVey. Um, after some screening, I, I did get the chance to go to the Black House in, in San Francisco and spend some time with Dr., interviewed him and, and Blanche Barton. And it was quite an interesting uh, couple of days there. And we, we hit it off quite well. And all, prior to that, of course, I read the Satanic Bible many, many years ago, actually, when it first came out uh, in the 60s. Wow. And it was always fascinating to me. And, and to meet the man behind it, and to really codify his ideas and see what what he had to say firsthand just sold me. And I said, well, you know, this this is not an ooky spooky, we believe in an anthropomorphic spirit devil. You know, this is a sound philosophy, religion based on living life because this is the only one you have and enjoying it to the hilt. Uh, it's a carnal, uh, enjoyable approach to life. Uh, that was my that the first exposure was the Satanic Bible in the '60s, but the crystallization, so to speak, was in uh, when I met Doctor and, and Blanche. Nice. Do you think that when you were first interviewing them about uh, for your article? Uh, that they were just sort of just being polite and they were uh, holding back or, or, or were they very just welcoming from the get-go and ready to share their ideas? Well, you know, they didn't know who I was, so right. they had to be somewhat guarded. But after a few hours, um, things lightened up and they, and they could tell I wasn't there just to, to write a sensationalist piece. And, and I understood what it was all about. I was asking intelligent questions and uh, it wasn't just a, another another journalist trying to to get a devil story in the magazine. <laughs> yeah. so they were they were quite warm and friendly after that. Um, at the time, it, doctor was very. We 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 went to to dinner in a local restaurant, and I saw his humorous side there. I mean, he would would joke around with the waitresses and give false names, and he was quite a character. Nice. So when did you first decide to join the church? It was shortly after that. I subsequently, well, prior to the, to going there and, and afterward, I met with uh, Peter Gilmore, who is now the head of the church. And we I lived in New York City at the time, as did Peter. And we became friendly. And uh, shortly after that, um, I became, became a member. And uh, Dr. LeVay, after the, the article appeared, um, had made me a priest in the organization. Nice. Nice. And is that article, um, have you ever reprinted it in Old Nick or, or presented it again? Uh, no, but it is available, I think, on the Church of Satan website. Okay, very nice. Um, so I think we've, we've talked pretty well about, I think, what started, um, what, what inspired you to start the magazine. When did the first issue of Old Nick come out? 
Um, the first issue, I I decided to to do something for uh, the six 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 event in Los Angeles. Nice. That was sanctioned by the uh, Church of Satan and Peter Gilmore, and um, we had quite a, a great time the weekend there. It was. I had a party at my house, and um, there were a number of celebrations, dinners, and I thought, well, this would be the perfect time to, to put the magazine together. It was an experiment at first. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure if there would be a second issue or if it would be accepted, but uh, people loved it, and it, it, it caught on from the get-go. Uh, you know, men really enjoyed it, and um, I decided to go forward. There was a lapse of time when I got too involved with other things to really keep it going, but it's it's got footing again, and now it's uh, published regularly on a quarterly basis. So that was the first first time. It was in uh, 06, um, June 6. Nice. Uh, it's obvious that you put a lot of time uh, into the magazine and a lot of love. I mean, that just comes out in, in the way it's presented how it looks. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you have a team that you work with? Is this something that you try to head up all your, on your own? Well, we do We do have a team. I have uh, an in-house managing editor, and I also get quite a bit of support from uh, Marilyn Mansfield, who is yeah. a, a model, of, and um, her partner, Zoth, who is now a senior editor at the magazine, so they help me quite a bit. I have contributors, contributing photographers, contributing writers. So there's 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 a cadre of, of people uh, working on it, and, as well as a designer. However, I pretty much do all of the managing and ma- maintenance and creation of the magazine. And I, I would imagine quality control and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> not as good as I'd like, but uh. <laughs> uh, so you already mentioned that it comes out quarterly. Uh, who, who's the uh, who's the target market? If you could define a demographic, and I mean, I would imagine Satanist would be in there, but not maybe not necessarily. You know, who is your your target market that you're trying to reach with, uh, Old Nick? Well, that's a good question because although it definitely. Um, has a, a satanic feel to it, and we talk quite a bit about the satanic uh, aesthetic. It, it really is for any man, and if we had to put a number on the demographic, I would say 18 plus. You know, oh, okay. we have readers into our into their 70s who have a dark bent, who just like that combination of you know old school girly mag plus. Uh, dark type of editorial matter and two types of particular women and this is what really makes Old Nick unique. One is a for lack of a better term gothy type girl who is uh, you know I don't think we need to say much more than that people know what it is and and the traditional pinup curvy girl Um, those two go hand in hand a, a lot of men with a dark bent like both those type of women we found yeah so, yeah. so um does that answer your question yeah and, and it actually brings up another because it, <laughs> you ended that with we found was there a time when you were uh, i don't know uh, experimenting with different types of girls that may not have fallen into either of those categories 
Well, not really, because I kind of knew that from the, the get-go, but um, I didn't know if the goth-type girl would be as attractive. And apparently it is. As, you know, tattooed younger goth girl, the little bit older pinup girl, curvy, and even some BBW girls. I mean, uh, you know, men like women with curves. So even some of, the, some of the the larger girls are becoming you know popular. Nice. Um, with a, a target, I would say, and I hope it's not offensive, similar to Playboy. Mm -hmm. target market um, outside of gothic I don't think I've ever seen the gothic but certainly the pinup-esque um, look uh, do you find it difficult to reach your demographic well uh, yes and no uh, it seems that you know on on the satanic side I think most people know who we are because we've been around a while and we're often promoted on the, the Church of Satan site right uh, and, and other places, and as I mentioned, Marilyn Mansfield does quite a good job with her Twitter and social networking to, to get it out there. But it, it is finding its way now into other areas, and other men are, are finding it, those being um, heavy metal types, um, just types who like tattoos, uh, even steampunk aficionados. Yeah. Uh, so we're getting quite a bit of, of that interest as well going on now. And of course the traditional, just we like horror, we like Vampira, Vampirella, comic book types, fantasy. So it, it's beginning to bridge out. I recently met with um, Edward Lee, who was an interesting horror writer, very hardcore sex horror writer. I don't know if your listeners ever heard of him, but they should check him out. I met him at a, a conference in Las Vegas called Killer Con, and Edward Lee was quite taken by with the magazine. He nice. like it, and uh, you know he, he's really a big fan now. So, do you think he would ever contribute? Yeah, he is actually. Next issue, we're, we're going to have an interview with him. So, oh, very nice. Yeah. Um. What are some of the challenges that you noticed when, you know, just from the, issue one, you said there was a bit of a lapse at one time, but from issue one to now, what are some of the challenges that uh, you have found and, and overcome? Well, the biggest challenge um, are the biggest challenges are, are getting the proper models in the magazine. Uh, lots of submissions, very few are chosen. Uh, it, it's become selective because I really don't want to put model in the magazine that I think won't work. But, you know, let me qualify that by saying not all of the girls have to be gorgeous, beautiful, perfect. That's not the real world. Yeah. So, but they have to have that something, that dark inner beauty, something mysterious, pinup quality. Like I think the the latest Halloween issue that's on sale now is very representative of all those things. We have girls there that are mysterious gothy types and, and satanic uh, witches, as well as a centerfold who is a Marilyn Monroe lookalike. So that that's the biggest challenge is to to get the the right type of uh, woman. And I will tell you, a lot of women are reluctant to submit their photos, but they shouldn't be. Um, it's because they don't have to be perfect. 
just interesting. So do you think that's a, a, a big factor with, with women that may be comfortable having their, their photos um, published in a, in a magazine? I mean, I can't help but think that when you have a magazine with legitimacy that treats its models with respect, that that should alleviate some of the concern. But do you still find it that, you know, models do have some sort of reservation about um, submitting photos simply because of that standard beauty image that society has fostered? Well, that, that's one thing for sure. Oh, I'm too fat. Oh, I have veins. Oh, I have cellulite. Oh, I'm not as pretty as her. You know, that's unfortunately ingrained in in the female psyche. Uh, the other thing, you know, we have a lot of a lot of things going against us. One, nudity. Two, satanic. <laughs> uh, and then you add, the, and and also the, the web. It's on the web, so you know, you're all over the place. You know, a woman has to be very confident in what what she's with herself to be comfortable enough to to pose in the nude and be in the magazine. And I have to tell you, our photos are edited because that's another editorial decision. But um, most of the models are very willing to to be quite hardcore. And and that was actually another question that I wanted to bring up is the level of I mean, let's say reveal for mm-hmm. individual models varies mm-hmm. drastically and, and so that is very much up to the model it's not like well if you're going to be in the magazine this is what we expect no that's a, that's a very salient point about the magazine and that's my editorial direction um, they will be very explicit in 9 out of 10 cases being photographed however I choose not to publish those pictures. We don't have to. I believe that the mystery is far more titillating. I mean, there's porn all over the place now. Yeah. No one needs more porn. I mean, you can get the hardest of the hard with a, a click of your mouse. So that's not the point. The point in Old Nick is it's a package. From cover to cover, you're being titillated. It's a sneak peek. It's a little bit of this. It's it's honing lust, and lust is really the driving force. There's an oversaturation of porn right now, which I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, it's fine. It has its place. It's great. But Olnick is different. It's the peekaboo. It's yeah. it's. I I often quote a great line from the movie The Devil's Advocate when uh, Al Pacino played the, the devil in the movie. Uh, was describing to the young lawyer about the feeling you get when you enter a woman's bedroom for the first time. That's the interest. That's the mystery. That's what's titillating. That's what's lusty. Uh, to be quite crass about things, um, you know, you can see the most beautiful girl in the world, and we've all all experienced this as men. And I've heard this from tens of hundreds of men saying they'll look at a beautiful woman and say no somebody's sick of fucking her yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's true it's true Absolutely. so no it's the mystery you know it's it's kicking up that lust 
Um, you know, Molnick is like a, a Viagra pill. <laughs> you know, it kicks up the. <laughs> Actually, it's not Viagra. It's kicking up the lust. The Viagra just makes you happen. But yeah. <laughs> well, it's certainly an element, uh, hopefully, in the, the end result of relation, which would be nice mm-hmm. uh, for everyone. Uh, so, do you take? I mean, we talked about models submitting photos. If there are any models listening or any women that, that may want to be included in a, a future uh, release of Old Nick, how would they submit uh, their photos uh, or, or maybe any other type of work to you? Yeah, it's real simple. You can just um, you know have a few shots. They don't have to be nude off the bat, just a, a couple of shots. And s- just uh, send it to info at oldnickmagazine.com. That's info at oldnickmagazine.com. And, uh, you know, we'll take a look, and if we're interested, we'll get back to you. And, you know, if you have a photographer, and we can go from there. So. Nice. So what about the history of Old Nick here? Um, I mean, you started in um, 06. Uh, you've been going um, pretty steady since. Do you expect it to change in the future, or do you think that you found your niche and you're just going to uh, stay in that lane, so to speak? We're going to stay. It's just going to get bigger and we're going to have better and better editorial and as i mentioned we have ed lee and we also um will have uh, jack ketchum who was a another very famous writer he wrote the girl next door which became a motion picture nice. he's also um, going to be involved in uh, with an interview in the magazine so there'll be more interesting editorial that way uh also members of the of the church of satan who are doing exemplary stuff will be in there um you know we're broadening we just did a piece on a a goth steampunk type um boutique in in uh, la so uh, they're coming out of the woodworks (laughs) the package is growing and that dark aesthetic the dark bent will will continue to to uh to move on so and of course i think we're going to have a more i wouldn't say a better variety of women but a more interesting lineup of models do you think that uh you know your comment sort of struck a chord with me here about the uh, oversaturation of porn and how most people, myself included, much prefer the the tease to, you know, the presentation on the platter. So, do you think that that's helped you uh, really drive the the magazine? Well, here's here's another. It's another interesting point because first, let's take the magazine as a digital versus a print publication. Yep. Now, it's available in, in both forms, print on demand and digital. Um, I think a lot of people are looking at it and saying, why should I pay for this when I can get all the porn I want for free? So it weeds out that whole uh, universe of, of, of men who might show some interest in the magazine. Um, but the, it's, it's helped because we have the core of people who really buy the magazine. This sounds like the old Playboy line that they buy it for the articles, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they really enjoy the fact that it's it's the whole package that they can't get anywhere else. 
There is no other magazine like this, period. It doesn't exist. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say, you know, we also have a companion website, oldnickmagazine.com, that does offer more explicit photos of the, of the sets that are in the magazine. And I did that because just some people want that. Yeah. And if they're shot that way, then fine. You know, that's just another another thing. But um, I think the biggest question is whether it's going to continue to be a print magazine or it's going to become completely digital. Um, yeah. I I think a lot of a lot of folks still love print, and they're willing to pay for it. And I hope that continues because that's my particular pension. So what's the line, you think? And I don't want to talk specific numbers here, but what do you think is going to be that line where you say it's just not worth printing hard copies anymore? Um, do you think it's approaching, or do you think that you have a healthy enough audience that demands print that you'll be able to run those numbers no matter what? Um, I don't know, honestly. Um, my my gut feeling is. And if you look at the publishing industry as a whole, print is dying. It's it's going away. Uh, I think it's going to become sort of a, a collector's medium. Yeah. And if there are enough collectors who still want it, then it will continue. I you know I get queries all the time. Well, you know, uh, I, I want the first issue. You know, and the the, the first issue is a bit, bit different than subsequent issues because it was an actual uh, fold-out centerfold that was printed. Nice. And there were some signed copies uh, of the centerfold girl and a limited edition. So I still get queries for that. Not <laughs> left of that issue, but I still get queries, and they're willing to pay for it. So the answer to your question is I, I don't know. Uh, if we see that there's there's no interest in print anymore, you know, we shift gears. We're ready to be completely digital, but digital plus. And what digital plus means will be embedded video and hot links. And, you know, th there's another aspect to that. And will, will everybody be running around with with their iPads and tablets? And, I mean, I've seen even new technologies from Plastic Logic that's, you know, a single piece of plastic. It's uh, as thin as uh, an actual newspaper, but wow. but it's digital, so that may be new print. Yeah. Well, where can people find right now? Where can they go to to uh, purchase a physical copy of Old Nick? Yeah, it's um, a site called MagCloud.com. M-A-G-C-L-O-U-D.com. Uh, you have to navigate around a bit because we're in the, the men's category but you have to allow adult material so it's a little bit of a chore to get on the site magcloud.com click on men's category and then it will ask you if you want to uh, to allow for adult material once you get past that part or if you browse through men's and see old Nick and click it, it, it may ask you to allow for adult material. And once you get past it, then you can see a preview. And you can see the whole issue preview there. Um, and that's where you can purchase it. And by the way, if you purchase before Halloween, there's a 25% discount on the latest issue. Nice. 
unfortunately, we're not going to have this uh, air until after Halloween, but um, it's nice to know that you do things like that where, you know, early early purchasers get a a discounted price. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think is the driving force for for hosting it with MagCloud versus, and I'll put that uh, directions in, in the show notes of the show here. Um, for for the audience, but what was the decision to go with uh, MagCloud versus printing X amount and um, shipping them out? Well, it's simple economics. I mean, yeah. the, to 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 print, just not to bore you with publishing details, but printing any publication under ten thousand copies, mm-hmm. uh, there's just no there's just no marketability to that. Your, your overhead is just way too high. You cannot sustain a business. So you have to print in excess of 10,000 copies. And we're just not at that point yet. So it's a pure economic issue. And also the, the doubt of whether you know print will continue versus digital. This way we, we can really test. Nice. Uh, you had mentioned before that the website had more content to offer. Um, do you want to talk about that for a minute? It, now, is this something where you need to purchase a copy to access? Is this something where it's a monthly subscription to access? It's a monthly subscription. It, it, it's it's not more content. Well, in some cases it is, but it, it's more explicit content. It's right. more hardcore content. And it's a regular membership. It's it's real cheap. It's, I think Nine ninety nine a month or six ninety nine I forget exactly, yeah. but it, it's just it, it's an augment to the magazine and it's for people who just don't want the magazine but just want the photos. So is is it just photos or are there articles no, there as uh, well? Yeah, we we include editorial there as well. Most of the stuff that's in the magazine, some other things. Nice. And, and you had mentioned before, you know, just sort of the 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 trouble with the print media right now is sort of on the decline it seems and you you do offer old nick as a digital version is that a pdf it's a pdf yes have you ever considered going to an ebook or anything like that Mm, there are a number of um mediums that you can uh, have a digital magazine on but the only the problem is the nudity Right. And there are things like issue.com and um, I think it's Blue Fly or something like that, um, that that do offer digital magazines with embedded video and hot links and the whole deal. Um, however, they don't allow nudity. So to do it, I'd have to create my own site and do that whole thing. And it's just not worth it at this point. I don't see the demand for it. Uh, so you know the the way it is as a PDF seems to be fine for most people. And and I don't, I'm not sure if we had mentioned um, already, but uh, the website oldnickmagazine.com um, to review, um, sign up uh, benefits and to sign up and, and view that extra content. Do you think that there's a specific demographic? Uh, Maybe not specific as word here. Do you think there's a different demographic that you specifically target with your online versus the print, or do you really just approach it as an augmentation of the print? It's just an extra. It's it's there. People want it. 
if if you're out there, if you're uh, if you enjoy women, I'm gonna say and uh, sneak peeks rather than uh, the full reveal. No matter what, you should go check out uh, oldnickmagazine.com. Um, but you should certainly pick up the magazine, the print edition, and and just you know personally from you know my earliest memories as a young man picking up Playboy issues. That was a huge deal for me and. I always had a problem because there was never really that targeted appeal that I always liked. So more often than not, I was a little bit disappointed with some of the models. This magazine, these women, I think, speak to that satanic ideal that is not overtly satanic, but it's just that beauty, uh, the subtlety, and it's what we as gentlemen really, really need. At least I would like to think, and I, I certainly think at some level I do. So <laughs> I imagine I'm not the only one. Um, uh, Bob, thank you so much for joining me. It was truly a pleasure to talk to you about this. And until we can uh, talk again, hail Satan. Thank you, Adam. It was my pleasure, and um, I appreciate the time and, and your kind words about the magazine. You know, Hopefully we will continue into the next year. Uh, we have some great things planned, and... Uh, Stay tuned, as they say. Looking forward to it. Well, we went a bit long, as you can tell. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to skip this week's Bizarre of the Bizarre. Uh, I promise to bring it to you next week, though. And that's going to be it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Undercroft, Facebook, Twitter, or MySpace page for nine cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at NineCentsPodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching Nine Cents and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit ChurchOfSatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit SatanNet, the Satanic Network at satannet.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I am your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!